We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Committed co-host in America, Kyle Newbeck. <laughs> How you doing, Kyle? Kyle, uh, I'm doing well. I had a nice, uh, nice wedding weekend. With Kyle started a new job, did two whole shows, and then already took his first vacation. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it was not planned that way. <laughs> I did commit to being in a good friend of mine, one of my best friend's weddings, before this had taken shape, and so. Your duties as a best man and a groomsman come first, but I'm happy to be back after my whole two shows that I did last week, and now you guys are stuck with me for the foreseeable future, so very happy about that. Mostly, I'm stuck with you for the foreseeable well, future, but that's I, will, for damn sure. I will find a way to push through it. You know, we had, I guess, a little bit of a debate. Look, the Twitter, Sixers Twitter had a little bit of a moment yesterday of something that was completely irrelevant. Uh, there was a quote-unquote update on the James Harden to the Clippers The situation. classic non-update complete, update in Complete September. non-update. So here is the tweet that sort of sent everyone into a spiral. This was I don't even want to mention them because they don't deserve it. But it was an aggregator that said the Clippers have ended James Harden trade talks per Brian Windhurst. Now, I guess we'll just start off. What, what the hell's going on? Because we were told that this was all ended <laughs> a month ago or three weeks ago. Uh, when the Sixers supposedly pulled back and said, we're ending trade No, it's like that song from, what was it, Lamb Chop? This is the song that never right, ends. Right. I mean, it's this is going to keep going through up until the point that a trade is made or James Harden comes out and says, me and Daryl Morey are best buddies again and we're having a good time and I'm, I'm all in, we're going to go on a, a title run, so on and so forth. Nothing is going to end until then. So I, the the gist of what you're saying, what you're talking about, is that uh, Brian Windhorst on the Hoop Collective, mm -hmm. which this is something he had said previously, yep. I believe, yeah, uh, yep. that the Clippers, it had been on LA's end that right. discussions had ended between the Sixers and Clippers, and that the Clippers were kind of saying thanks but no thanks. We don't want to be involved in this at this point. So I always think it's important to clarify. Saying that trade talks have ended in any trade conversation means absolutely nothing until the trade deadline passes and deals can't be made because there have been lots of trade discussions that have happened in the past where you know, your teams say they're out and then a month later there's an injury or something... Maybe a front office member decides 
hey, I feel differently than I did a month ago. Let's circle back and, yeah. you know, let's have a conversation with this team about a player that we said we're out on. Nothing is ever truly over uh, until the deadline passes. But, yeah, right now I think both sides have made clear Daryl's position is we're not giving James up for the poo-poo platter. And the Clippers are saying, well, okay, well, we're content with what we have. We're not going to pay a premium for a guy who has said, I only want to be here. And that's kind of why they're at where they're at at the moment. And I think a key point here, the way that that aggregated treat was worded made it sound like talks were currently ongoing and the Clippers ended them now. No, what Brian actually said on the podcast which was last Friday, was that when the trade talks were quote-unquote ended three weeks ago, it was the Clippers who were the one instigating the end of it. He wasn't saying that there were current talks that were now ended. He was trying to... There's sort of like a, a little back and forth with ESPN personalities, it seems, where Woj reports the Sixers ended talks. Uh, you know, Windhurst says, no, it was actually the Clippers who ended it. Doesn't really matter. Uh, I don't really... like. I think people now want... What does it mean that the Clippers were, were the one who... It, yeah. means, it means nothing. It means that they were far apart. Whether or not it was the Sixers being frustrated that the Clippers wouldn't add more, the Clippers being frustrated that the Sixers wouldn't send them... Uh, send Harden to them for practically nothing. It doesn't really matter. It just means they were pretty far apart. Um, but really, the key is that nothing changed. And nothing will change for quite a while, I don't think. Um, but the way that was worded... Send people thinking that there are still ongoing discussions. There really aren't. At this yeah. point, we're just waiting for something to change. Quick few shout-outs to some of our friends in chat here. Obviously, Sal coming in with his classic and standard it. Imagine Dragons reference. You know, I explained that last time I was on the show. Sal, you need to imagine dragging yourself to a, a new joke, but thank you for being here today. Miles is done with the... The hardened circus, it seems like, and him and Daryl, I, I understand the frustration. And, and our friend Alex McCoy, who I recognize from Twitter, when are we getting a Rich, Derek, and Kyle show? I believe Later the answer week. is this week. Yep. Uh, I don't know the exact day yet, but we will have all three of the gang in here. There's also a possibility there will be some other people in the studio this week that's uh, still being hashed out, but definitely be some livelier and larger shows uh down the pipeline. Yeah, because uh, if I had to sit here and just talk to you every day, that's going to get old <laughs> real quick. Mostly yeah. for me. I'm mostly worried about myself here. But to stay on the subject, you're, this, we're discussing you know, how different reports can come from the same outlet. That might end up happening here. Like you might sure. end up getting some information I don't. It doesn't mean that Wendy or Woj or any of these guys are right or wrong, but their information comes from different places. Like it, It's very interesting being on the reporting side of it and you have all these people competing for your your interests and you know what is the motivation to share something sure and some people will just go out there and print it and say it and just well, ends I up mean, out there in the universe even yesterday when i tweeted like all i was trying to tweet was clarification of what brian actually said on friday did i get uh some comments saying no it was actually the sixers yeah somebody reached out to me said no we actually were the ones who ended that conversation a couple weeks ago do i believe them no, I don't know who actually ended it. I know they want me to think that the Sixers are the one who ended it because it's all yeah. posturing at this point. It's all left. And especially when you're talking about someone like Kyle or I, like we obviously have much closer connections to people in the Sixers front office than we do with the Clippers front office. For Newsflash. Sure. Yes. So you have to be a little bit like, all right, I know they want me to say or want me to think that they were the ones who ended it. Do I actually know? Not really. No. But it's and, real easy to just kind of like say something. And so Aaron mind. here asked thoughts on Ramona Shelburne's comments saying Harden's keeping in contact with Sixers teammates. I mean, look, I, I think that's been one thing if we're talking about the entire 
reporting apparatus around the NBA. That's been f- fairly consistent that I think James's beef is not with yeah. Joel Embiid. It's not with Tyrese Maxey or Tobias Harris or anybody else, not even Nick Nurse, who was not here for really the, mm-hmm. the brunt of his anger here. So I think that James is looking at this like he's not no longer, he's not friendship ended with Joel Embiid or any of these other guys. He has a very specific, very targeted line of anger and frustration. And he's made it very clear. His beef is, and I know I said, it's not just Daryl Morey, right? It's the front office apparatus. It's ownership to some degree because that's who he has the problem with. If all those issues were cleared up and James walked in and all he had to do was figure out what's going on with his teammates, I don't have any concern about, I think maybe they're not as tight as they were at points last season. Certainly he's distanced himself in that way, but I don't think it would be awkward for them at all. This is not a, a Ben Simmons. He's trying to blow torch the entire organization yeah. sort of deal. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's hundred percent fair. Um, it is. And look, that might not matter because if James Harden is out, like he can be out in a way that like, let's say, Maybe Tyrese Maxey and, and Joel Embiid aren't mad at him now. Well, if he comes into camp or on regular season games and doesn't try, they might be pretty pissed off yes. at him then. Like So J- the way James Harden tends to approach these situations, or at least historically has in the past, could cause some friction going forward, but I don't think the friction right now is insurmountable. If, if Daryl Morey just came right out and was like, no, we'll, we'll give you the bag next summer, just play hard. First of all, I don't think he'd believe it. But if he did believe it and started playing hard, I think he could mend this. I just don't think any of that's going to happen. Yeah, and look, James Harden, you can say whatever you want about how he's blown situations up and his legacy in some ways is being tarnished by how the last few years have played out. One thing that is absolutely true is that he is a popular guy amongst the players. Now, some of that might be for the wrong reasons. He is a guy who likes to get after it away from the floor, and he's Mr. Social, and He'll end up in situations that maybe if you're someone who needs him to perform in a back-to-back in Thursday in Miami, that you know perhaps that's not uh, James Harden's ideal environment. But I just think that he's built up a lot of goodwill with the NBA player base in general, and certainly with his teammates in Philadelphia, including a couple of guys in PJ and D House that he's got history with, like a big reason they are here and on the roster, is because James Harden is here, because he wants those guys here. So I don't think, I think if you're talking about this situation dragging on, dragging on, dragging on, I do think that if this goes into camp and in preseason and in the regular season, they're all going to say, like, we want James to be here. I don't think anyone's going to take the position of, yeah, screw James, we don't want him. I hope Daryl resolves this. And I think that'll be slightly different than, once Ben came in and t- took a blowtorch to practice and acted up, I think you saw the the tenor of that conversation switch even, very quickly. Even before then, like Joel Embiid was the diplomatic. No, we, we can be a better team with him. We want him back. He took that. And I think part of it is that he wants to be a diplomatic one, but also he realizes the best version of this team has James Harden on it. He wants to win a title. So I think that is certainly true. Um <laughs> I see. I see our our colleague Austin Krell from ninety seven three up there. <laughs> Thoughts on Chipotle trying to get us to talk about his food takes. Austin, we're not going to talk about your abomination. No, I am food absolutely going to roast. So <laughs> for those in the comments who don't know, Austin Krell, a colleague of ours on the Sixers beat, 
he has the palate of a child <laughs> and he goes to Chipotle and he essentially will only eat a cheese quesadilla. And that is the extent of what he will have there. He has said, and this is a verbatim quote, Austin, you can, you know, you speak up if you'd like that his favorite meal is buttered <laughs> noodles, which is one of the most insane things I've ever heard a person well, say. Well, and he's, he's also never had chicken wings, which I would respect if he was, you know, vegetarian. He's not. He's just somehow never had chicken wings. It's He has the oddest yeah. food takes ever. So um, apologies good, for that quick detour. But Good guy, was. good writer. Go check him out, um, but don't follow a food blog that he writes. Yeah, no, don't. Any food recommendations from Austin Krell, you can throw them out, basically. Immediately. I, I did see we had a question based or connected to this, this conversation. This, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I was just uh, going to say this wasn't supposed to be a Q&A portion of the segment, but we're kind of running with it. Which, yeah. Very, very lively chat. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of commenters. Uh, this is the question I actually was concerned with. Which Sixers would benefit from Harden refusing to play slash try for the team? So I think it's easy to say Maxi because, oh, he'll just get more reps and more time. I think that would be more of a long-term benefit, though, yeah. right? Because I think right now it's clear Tyrese benefits more from Harden playing and setting him up and taking responsibilities off the table for him. Like, he doesn't have to focus on playmaking as much. He doesn't have to focus as much on just getting them into sets. It's more, Tyrese, you go on the wing, you run some dribble handoffs from time to time. Austin and his <laughs> buttered noodles takes are just killing me in the chat. But so Tyrese, I think, would benefit over the long term from just being day to day. You're the guy. You run the show. You run the team along with Joel. Short term, I think he would struggle. The no, people he, that you're looking to are more who plays more minutes right. because of this. And that's probably somebody like DeAnthony. Yeah. Even further down, maybe someone like Jaden is just, you know, he goes from a real fringe rotation guy to, okay, you might play right. another five, 10 minutes of game time on a given night. And so that's probably where I would look, but it's so hard because you're not, uh, there's no one-to-one -one replacement or even close for what James is good at. And so you're going to have to try to cobble it together from several different places. No, I agree. Max would be the one I want to, I'm most interested in seeing without James because you want to see him grow as a playmaker uh but he would certainly like he would have a tougher time creating shots in the half court without james there i think you're 100 right yeah so before we get to we're gonna get to a lot of got some mailbag reader listener questions today we have to take a, a quick break here talk about our friends at DraftKings. we're back with another week of football obviously birds are 2-0 and we're flying high in philadelphia and DraftKings sportsbook is keeping us in on the nfl action with great offers every single game day New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets thanks to promo codes that you're being provided at PHLY. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. I think that's pretty cool, especially if you're like me and you know your, your win rate is not as high as you'd like it to be. So got to take advantage of all these great offers. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the app now. Sign up with code PHLY. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and that's with code PHLY. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit www.1800gambler.net. 
in New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and, and deposit restrictions apply. I almost got through that whole thing and <laughs> I had the saliva building up during that and it's always just a, a, uh, a really it's fun. A lot. I, I, I was telling you before the show like thursday i tried to do it the professional <laughs> broadcasting way and just go through that disclaimer real quick and i got halfway through and i was out of breath uh that you our really guy harry siegel by the he, way is he related I, to you he's got to be related he's to not related to me but i did see him in the chat the other day with uh while you and derek or you and nope. derek you Try are again. derek you and rich <laughs> were doing shows together he was a, a big and vocal supporter so you know thank you so much harry for for showing up and showing out for us Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate that. Jamie? That's a... Okay. Are you, you want to get on to the mailbag no, questions? No, no, no. All right. <laughs> mailbag questions now, gang? All right. We got one from Francis Parker, and this will be the only real time. I think we're pretty much done talking about Harden. We just brought it up because there was that update, non-update there over the weekend. This is the last question on that. Uh, if you were James Harden and your goal was to get a good contract next summer, what would your strategy be? I would go play basketball. It I, does I, seem like that's useful for a basketball I, I don't think... And that's the thing, right? He has leverage against the Sixers in the sense that he can make things uncomfortable and try to get himself traded for you know, below market value. I do think he is up against someone in Daryl Morey who we could say he'll, he'll, he's willing to be a bit stubborn and he's willing to say, I'm going to do what I think is best. So you've talked to Daryl too, you know that? <laughs> he's willing to do what he thinks is best for the team, even if it gets uncomfortable. And so I think in that way, if James just thinks he's going to throw a fit and, and that's all it's going to take, and then he's ultimately going to get the best long-term outcome for himself, I think he's mistaken. I think what he probably needs to show at this point to other teams, you know, just set aside the Sixers for right now, is that one, he can still play at a high level. And he played at a fairly high level last year. Certainly yep. not MVP Harden, but at a high level. But two... Teams have to feel like they're going to bring this guy in and he's not just going to light the program on fire, right? Like, that's the whole thing. The problem with Harden's position at the moment is that this is not a first-time thing. This is not James Harden. Right. It's not Dame Lillard, we'll say, where Dame is the good soldier throughout his career. He does this. He does that. He's He puts up with a lot of iffy roster constructions around him it would be like if this weekend or if this week you went i'm taking off thursday and friday All right, well, last week was okay <laughs> we can understand that last now week, it's starting yeah. to get to be a trend yeah no so james does not have the league-wide goodwill anymore and frankly the production to support just saying i'm gonna blow it up at any given time he's not that guy anymore and look, a guy in his mid-30s, regardless, even if he did have a spotless record, there are teams that would say, look, we just don't trust that your body is going to hold up. We know your reputation away from the game. And even though he does work really hard to be as good as he is, he needs to make sure that people believe 
he's a committed member of the franchise moving forward. It's why, look, Kyrie Irving, ultra-talented guy, right? Like, great mm-hmm. basketball player. Set aside the all the craziness that comes associated with dealing with him, he didn't get the full boat from yeah. Dallas. Like, it's, when you cause your franchise concern away from just, is this guy a good basketball player? It's hard for them to look you in the eye and say, we want to give you, you know, yeah. the max amount of money in years we can give you. Now, if you're talking just pure skill, there are a few players who would be able to play a game of across the world as well as Kyrie Irving would. Yeah. He's trying to make a ladder. <laughs> across the world. Um, no, there's, look, I think the easiest way for, I think right now Harden's mindset is, I don't know why this team doesn't value me. Clearly I'm worth the contract I think I am. Yeah. If I think he would be a little more tethered to the reality, he would realize, oh, shit, the league doesn't value me the way I think they do. Why is that? And the way to sort of fix that is to come back, play good basketball, be a good teammate, be in the best shape of your career, and convince people not only that they should get you for the stretch run, but that you will be able to age gracefully into your 35, 36, 37-year-old season so they're more willing to make a commitment to you and so there's more teams that you can be traded to who would be willing to make that next commitment to you. I think that is the way he can actually get paid next summer. But he would have to actually accept reality a little more than I think he's capable of. And by the yes. way, this is something that is tough for, I think, a lot it's of stars. It's not just stars. him. Yeah. I think he still thinks, I'm James Harden, I'm worth a max. He has to come to the realization that I'm James Harden, I have to prove myself. And I don't think that's going to happen. Well, and to your point, aging gracefully is not just... I put up 20 whatever points a game and this many assists. It's really more the mental side of it. Am I able and willing to accept that I'm not capital J, capital H, James Harden anymore? And we saw, we went through this process with Iverson. He left Philadelphia before that process played out, but he wasn't able to accept the fact that he's not the guy anymore. And a lot of the reporting we've heard is that, you know, James wants to be the dude. Here we go. Alex McCoy. I feel like the third time you're asking out trying to cause a stand. Yeah, like, of course not. And I, two, I mean, I think Miles Johnson has a pretty good counter question to that. Um, but weren't we saying this last year and didn't he prove a lot of people wrong? Like, he came in, he had a good year, yes. he was a good teammate. Yeah. 100%. On the floor, I think he showed I can be, you know, sidekick-ish. And then Joel's out game one of the Boston series, and James puts up, 40 points and has an incredible game, wins them a game by himself. And that's that's why anyone would still be willing to give this guy a chance is because the talent is there. And when he's in the, the right mindset and he's in a place where he's happy and he feels like things are you know on an upward trajectory, I think you see what the ceiling can be. Yeah. The problem is that the floor is so low. And because on top of this, his playoff track record is as spotty as it is. He goes from these 40-point games to is he even out there? Is his mind you know, on the game that's in front of him? That's the challenge. And that's why like, the best thing he can do in my eyes is just go out there. You can still be mad at Daryl. You can go to a microphone and say, you know, fuck this guy. I don't trust him. He promised me this. He promised me that. But you go out there and you give your best to your teammates and other teams see that, of course, you're going to get paid by somebody at some point. He's still a good enough basketball player to justify that. It's just the concern that this guy is going to nuke your organization. But to sort of Miles' point, like I think 
Um, you know, there's nothing he can do. There's no kind of year he can have this upcoming year that will get him back to a max four-year, $210 million right. player. And I think that is where his disconnect is. I think he, he reacted to the fact that he wasn't getting that four-year super high contract, and he wanted to— and I think a big part of the reason why he opted in his contract— is because someone like the Clippers, they can't realistically take him back in a sign-and-trade because of the way they would be hard-capped, because of, of how that would impact their, their double apron uh, threshold. So he, this was, he thought the best way to get to a place that will give him that next contract, I think he needs that realization that that contract, I have to reframe my expectations for that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's yeah, I, I just don't think it will happen. And look, I, we're framing this a lot from, because that's the way the question came in, it's from the James needs to do this. Like Daryl's going to have to mend this fence. If his position is that I'm not trading him for, unless it's for X, Y, Z, a boatload of picks, an impact guy, whatever it is, then the onus is on him to make sure that if James is here and they need to win games and keep this ship afloat and at minimum the short term, he has to figure this out. This can't just be, well, because of James's history, it's all on his plate. Like, no, of course not. He's running the organization. He's the guy that James has a problem with. And I, it's not like Daryl's been sitting on his hands and doesn't want to fix this. But if it doesn't get fixed, then, you know, ultimately this is all immaterial. They need yep. to figure this out in, in some way, shape, or form. All right. We spent a lot of time Next question. Yeah, we, we can do a non-hardened <laughs> question, I think, this time. On draft night, there was a draft board that was leaked and had a lineup featuring Maxi, Melton, Harden, Harris, and Embiid. If Harden plays, should we assume that those are the starters? And since you were the one who wrote about that draft board, I will leave this one to you. <laughs> well, that was, you know, a, a comedy of uh, a comedy of errors. Uh, yeah, so this is the small, the quote-unquote small lineup because it's Tyrese and, and DeAnthony and James as sort of a, a triple guard lineup. I'm not entirely sure. I, like We got into this a little bit last week. I do think that P.J. Tucker is always one of those guys that coaches value much, much more than average fan. And I would say even more than myself, even though I think I'm in the you know defense, defense, defense school of thought a lot more than other people. I think it's going to be hard to shove him aside and to – Again, this gets more into the politics of NBA locker rooms. It's also like, who are you pissing off by doing that? And who is more of a risk to cause a problem if they're left in the role that they're in, right? I think PJ is probably going to get angrier at being moved out of the starting lineup than DeAnthony would be if you simply leave him as like a sixth man bench role type player, right? It's the lower risk move. Yep. It does have the higher upside, though. And so that's that's why I think they need to continue to invest in it. But I, I think, honestly, they spent enough time together last season that I don't think it needs to be a constant, like, oh, we're working, we're getting these guys reps. Yeah. I think they have enough chemistry built up at this point that if it's not the starting group or even the finishing group, I think that group of – James, Tyrese, DeAnthony, Tobias, Joel has enough of a base to build from that they can continue to get better. Yeah, and both of those two lineups saw significant time together last year. Uh, so it's like, to your point, they should be 
pretty well good to go. If you want to start it off the season with PJ starting, you can make that change real quickly if you need to. Um, I'm not too worried about which one they go with, but it was interesting, everything they had on that board. Uh, it was real fun for a you know, random June evening to be dissecting and, and zooming in well, on a, a very low-res picture. And that phone call that I had to make to the team to be like, hey, I just want to verify this. <laughs> I've seen it from a couple like of different places fake, yeah, now. Yeah. And I don't know how else to explain this to you except for the fact that you had a draft board leak. <laughs> <laughs> and they were fortunate it must have been very early in the day. But that was, that was really something. All right, let's see. Next question here. Who's this coming from? The, this one is coming from Joe. Okay. Uh, Joe Fed. How much effort will the Sixers put into winning the midseason tournament? I know you have strong takes on the midseason tournament. Oh, yeah, the midseason tournament. Just, uh, you know, my favorite thing. Real air quotes around that, that favorite. I think the players will want to win just because they're basketball games and they're not going to go out there. And I don't, I don't suspect anyone other than deep bench or end of roster guys really care because then it becomes maybe that's an opportunity to get more minutes and more money and things like that right. but I don't think because there is a tournament attached to these early season games that we need to be like thinking oh Joel's going all out against the Charlotte Hornets tonight or whoever who's in their pot again. So I guess a real quick refresher on the way the this is set up. Tournament. Right. So there's uh, going to be four games that each team plays in quote unquote group play. So there's um, six divisions. I forget which, and it's not division like the, you know, typical Traditional like Atlantic divisions. Division. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's six divisions based on the quality of teams in your conference. Um, three divisions per conference. And you play each of those four other teams uh, at some point through November. So, the group play, uh, when you're playing against your division, is going to be just normal regular season games. It's part of your regular season schedule. And then two more games, uh, the quarterfinals and the semifinals, will also be regular season games, but, but they're currently not scheduled because they will come down to um, basically this tournament. And then two teams will play an extra game, basically an 83rd game, to win the championship. But just so obviously. we need more NBA regular season yeah. games. That's, we've all been asking, you know, Adam Silver... Can we please have more games before the playoffs? I actually don't know the other four teams in the Sixers division. I will try to look that up real quickly. But that so four of those games, you figure they will be pretty incentivized to win, or six of those games because they are just reg they count for the standings. They yeah. count for all that. It's really the 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 championship round. The winner of the championship gets five hundred thousand dollars per player. Loser gets two hundred k. Someone like B-Ball Paul, who's been selling merchandise out of his, you know, condo for the last couple of years, you know he's probably going to want to get that, that hustler 500K. mindset, man. He's, you know, someone any like, opportunity for some extra money. That's, someone I like Joel Embiid might not be quite as motivated. Yeah. 500K doesn't change his life as much as does B-Ball Paul. Uh, but certainly some players will be motivated to win that extra prize money. Outside of that, the only thing you really get is a trophy, which I can't imagine is going to be all that much of an incentive. For NBA players, but that 500K will certainly incentivize some. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, you're not a soccer guy, but you can understand this and within the framework of how they do it in I watched Europe. Ted Lasso. Where I'm the, an expert. <laughs> the the early the early stages of these midseason tournaments that are separate from the league in Europe, most of the quote unquote big clubs don't take it seriously at all, right? It's a midweek game. They have games only on the weekends otherwise. And it's an opportunity for them to play young guys and academy kids. It's a lot of, it'll be a debut game for, you know, a 17 year old who's been with their academy. 
And then if they are able to beat these lower division teams and get further in the tournament, that's when you start seeing, all right, the, now these guys are into it. Now the, the starters and the star players are playing. And once those guys are on the floor, of course they're motivated to win. Right. It's really just organizationally, are you investing? Like, here's the real question. If they're playing one of these games that are essentially the qualifier to get to the end of the tournament, are they going to play Joel Embiid five extra minutes that night yep. to try to win a game? And I think the answer is a clear no. Yep. I, I don't think they, – if they're doing it, it's not because it's the midseason tournament. They're doing it because they want to win a regular season game that counts toward actual NBA standings and improves or doesn't improve their playoff positioning. Yep. That's all that's going to really matter. I agree. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's too much of a big deal either way. Like I don't have a strong opinion against it. I don't necessarily think this is going to reinvent the regular season. Yeah, it is what it is. It's a way to shake things up. Um, just my only real concern is the branding. I'm a little worried. Like we're going to get some horrible sponsor. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right now, I don't think there is. Right? There's no sponsor yet. I'm not. I have to, exact, I have to be honest. I have I really been, been tuned been out of the midseason <laughs> tournament. But I will tell you, like in England, for example. The League Cup has changed names about a hundred right. times. Like I, I believe right now it's the the Carabao Cup. I think it's named after like an energy drink that they have over there, and it was something else before that. It was named after a beer and named after. So you never. It's just just don't get a shitty. As long as the money's coming in, they're gonna keep playing this tournament. We'll put it that way. Yep. Next question. If you got one. Oh, we got a we got a bunch. Yeah, we do have a bunch to get to. All right. Do you think Harden's value will increase by February? And you know, it's at this time it is different than Simmons. I mean, I don't want to go too deep, I don't think. I think clearly anytime you get games being played closer to... Like whenever there's a decision that people have to make or a deadline that people have to make a decision by, it tends to spur Are you speaking from experience over there with your writing or podcasting? <laughs> sure, yeah. No, I try a lot more when there's that. And just going back through my whole high school and college career, certainly. Of course. Absolutely. Procrastination is king. No, I mean, look, there's a decent chunk, probably something like 40% of the NBA who can't be traded right now. Those restrictions will come off. Teams will be worse uh, than they expected. They will be spurred on to make moves. Anytime you get close to deadline, certainly it picks up. And it's very different than the Simmons situation, obviously. But I do think that there will, like, is the market going to be what Daryl wants it to be? No, probably not. But it'll be more than it is now. Well, and if we're looking at the Clippers specifically, they are not a team that's a, oh, if we just throw a season away, that's fine, right? No, right? This no, is not can't. a team with a, a big contention window. It's a group of players that they are built to win now. And on top of that, they have this urgency of this new arena that Steve Ballmer is building that allegedly has the most urinals of every, any stadium that's ever been built, which that is quite an achievement if that happens. And if you eliminate lines at games to go to the bathroom, I think that's quite a... Uh, but yeah, all that is to say that if they're going to trade for James Harden, it has to happen sooner than later because you're doing it to push for a title. You're doing it where you need to build chemistry. And I made this point when the Sixers, uh, many other people did, of course, when they traded, the Sixers traded for James Harden, I was, a, I was dubious on it specifically because teams do not win with big midseason acquisitions. It's just not a thing. You might get like 
I think the best example of a midseason trade working out well for a team is Marc Gasol for Toronto a, a few years back. That's when, a very different piece to drop But that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Marc Gasol was a, an additive complementary piece. It wasn't this guy controls the team in the way that James Harden does. And if James Harden joins the team for the Clippers at any point past like November – they're fundamentally reshaping the team. And that's like, they got Russell Westbrook, who's already like a, a team-changing force that they tried to bring on last year, even if he's on a small deal. So all this is to say that, yes, James will have more value, but I'm not sure how that will impact the Clippers' situation specifically. Yeah. I don't think it'll change drastically. Teams will just be more motivated. Yeah. So I think it's probably a good time for us to take a, another quick break to talk about all our friends who are making these shows possible. This one, Game Time, the Game Time app. It's a great app for securing tickets at the last minute, the last second. I know there have been all kinds of Eagles games, concerts that I've been stressed about trying to put together a, a group at the last minute. You just have a friend who reaches out to you and says, you want to go to this game tonight? And you think to yourself, boy, would I, but I doubt there are any tickets available. Well, the Game Time app... It's here to help you out with that. I know the Eagles are going to be a hot ticket every week until the end of this season. I know Thursday Night Football was crazy. I was watching it from a, uh, a bar in Ohio that didn't have the game because it was on Amazon Prime, and that was its own, its own issue. So if you ever run into that issue, you got to go to Game Time, the Game Time app. And we have a promo code you're actually able to use. And before you get there, you can see, you know, pictures of your seat at the game, your potential seat at the game. It's a two-tap experience. Find your ticket, you buy it, you're done. Tickets get sent directly to your phone. You never have to dig through your email for it. I think that's great because if you guys saw the tens of thousands of emails that I have unread, it would send shivers down a lot of your spine. So you can snag those tickets without the stress with Game Time. You download the Game Time app, create an account, use code PHLY, $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY, $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, we have one more question here, one more mailbag question here from Michael. And this kind of takes us, leads us right into our other topic of the day. Where does this team minus Harden compared to the pre trade 2021 22 team? He notes that Maxi is much better. Tobias is mostly Tobias, but they seem a lot worse 5 through 10 than they were two years ago. It's a, it's a good question because you don't have the, I think the big piece, I hesitate to call it a, a big piece, but Seth Curry was a lot of what yeah. made all that work, there, right? There were basically two starters different, Seth Curry and Danny Green. Yeah. You know, you, you, you obviously then added PJ and And they Melton. still have Danny Green now. What a That's true. That's true. <laughs> Not sure he's quite the same Danny Green he was two years ago, but they do still have Danny. Um, but you added then Melton and PJ to replace him. Yeah. So a big D'Anthony fan, obviously. I think that the optimist case is that Maxi can do everything Seth did in theory and then some, right? You can run him off movement. He can turbocharge the the transition game which that was sort of a struggle for that group obviously yeah. like you had a lot of joel bringing the ball up he shouldn't have to do that now you can lean on tobias more for not that it's particularly efficient but you can 
give him some possessions in the mid post, maybe feature him more. And I think what you see with Tobias over the years is that he does scale relatively well in that way where if you can get him going more early, he will take those catch-and-shoot jumpers more often. That when he gets his shots, then the shots that you know Joel and Tyrese and previously Doc, but I'm sure right. Nick Nurse will want him to take, you just you know throw the dog a bone a little bit, then maybe he gets rolling. And I think those years of chemistry built up between him and Joel, him and Tyrese, and some of these other guys, that will help. But... I don't know that they're going to be able to hold down the fort the way they were before because that was a, a just a weird season in general. The hope would be that Tyrese makes a big leap. Joel is a better player every year than he was a few years ago. And maybe, I know we've talked about it some, Joel makes that defensive leap that, or I shouldn't say leap, but maybe Joel engages on defense in a way and they have enough defensive-minded players now that they can make up some of the difference there where maybe they couldn't have done that a few years ago. Yeah. Um, certainly I think Maxi and his growth is the big plus you have there and, and, and Melton too. Uh, D'Anthony would be a, a big addition to that team, but the depth is very substantially different. Um, you just don't have the kind of depth that I think you really, and that's really the, the key right now with this team. It can, they, you know, they have a, a top six. That's fine. But can you survive without, sort of bench players who maybe didn't hold up in the playoffs. And that's why we're not necessarily, you know, too worried about losing any of them in the, you know, when we zoom into that regard, but just getting you through a season, getting you to wins, getting you to like, you know, that, that stretch in November when Shake Milton was unguardable for like two weeks. Right. You don't have anyone that you really believe can step up into that role that you know, someone's going to have to step up to over the course of a long season. That team had better depth for sure. Uh, I think they were probably better equipped to deal with a holdout because of that, because much as Tyrese Maxey has improved, he was pretty good that year too. Like he had, had made a pretty good jump then too. This team, especially without James, it is short on the depth department. Unless Jaden Springer can come out and be better than expected. So our production team highlighted another comment from Miles, but I want to spotlight. Miles said, increasing DeAnthony's on-ball reps is a, scare, is a scary thought if Harden's not playing. I 100% agree with you on that. You know, as much as I think DeAnthony is a really good role player, I'm actually really fascinated to see what happens with him in free agency next summer. And yep. it'll depend largely on what happens this season. But as we saw when he tried to, to run a fast break and he was, you know, entrusted to do some things on the ball, that is that is not what you want DeAnthony doing. He's a, a reliable catch-and-shoot guy, except for in game six. Um <laughs> He's a, an active defender, gets into passing lanes, all that. But as soon as you try to scale him up in terms of the on-ball creation, I think he, he gets himself into quite a bit of trouble. So that, well, that'd be one thing I'm worried about. He's pretty much, if Harden's not playing, he's pretty much your backup point guard. I don't think it's pretty much. I think he <laughs> is because you know, Pat Bev at this stage is not running yeah. point and Jaden Springer not qualified to run point. And actually, I think I've gotten some questions maybe not in the mailbag, but in general about the idea of campaign because, you know, he was let go by San Antonio. Was he let go after they signed Danny? What was the sequence of events? I, I'm not 100% on the order of events there. But but look, it, here's what it comes down to. We keep harping on this. Tyrese has to make a leap. Yep. And he has to make a leap that's so large 
that DeAnthony or Pat Bev or anybody else, their being a downgrade doesn't matter as much. Yeah. And so that's why we're going to keep harping on this. But Tyrese's ability to take a step up as a floor general and a leader is so essential to everything they're going to do yep. if Harden doesn't play. And quite honestly, even if he does play, like they could really sure. use him to be a better decision maker and creator, and, and he needs to put more pressure with the ball in his hands, not just on the rim, but to every defender that's even thinking about making a rotation. All right, we'll get to the final segment here of the pod soon, but uh, before that, a quick word from FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. And we are now squarely in football and tailgating season, which means it's time for overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for a game. FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use the promo code PHLY for 10% off. I have I no idea. My, I, all I saw was your hand moving. I was like, getting in my, my Vanna White on over here. I was trying to do the, you know, look at all these beautiful. <laughs> I'm trying to, I can see myself on the screen over here. So it, it is possible to, to point to where I need to. But it's when you're, it's reverse. You're trying to. <laughs> I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. And I, anyway. Anyway. Sorry for distracting you during our ad read. I mean, for it would have been a glorious. It would have been a glorious ad read if not for you. <laughs> Screw <laughs> of everything. Of course, up yeah, it's it's all my fault that <laughs> the two of us are not professional ad readers. All right, um, moving on. The Sixers lost three key players. We were sort of touching on in this last segment. Lost three key key players from their bench rotation: Nyang, McDaniel's, and Milton. Which one do you think will hurt them the most? It's a tough one because I think my natural instinct is to say George. George, I, George was our most consistent part of the rotation. I think sure. he was the most, quote-unquote, prominent member of the rotation where he was nailed on to that spot from basically day one of the season last year. And not only was nailed on in that spot, swung a ton of games. Like I, it's There are a lot of great shooters around the NBA, and the Sixers still have – Tyrese and some other good shooters on this team, but being able to bring a guy in off of the bench who he sees one go down and he might make the next four and go. And also he'll spend the next four minutes talking shit too. Every yeah, time he makes I, a three, I think, it's glorious. To your point, beyond the percentages, I think he played with an edge that that really on some nights makes a difference. Like there might be a, it's not the part that we see or that the fans see, but he gets two to go down, and the other team calls a timeout. And George is in that huddle, dropping some mfers, and like we're winning this goddamn game, and saying that. And that gets not only everybody in the huddle, else. he'll be doing that directly to the other team's bench. I really enjoyed sitting on press row and just watching George every time he made a shot. But that's what I'm saying. Is like that guy will lift up other people. Yeah. It's it's a hot streak that is good in the sense that he gets going and he's rolling, and this is good. Because it's he makes threes, that's a good thing. But there is a, a tail on effect that is also lost right. by losing him. Like I, I think the attitude fit that team. I don't think like look, we have we say there are a lot of good vibes guys, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of good locker room people still with this team. Not a lot of dudes like that that are both bringing on court production and then getting in the huddle and lighting a fire under everybody else's ass. Like 
you would hope that PJ can do that, but he doesn't shoot like George. He takes like one three a game. It's not the same. It means more when it's coming from a guy who's like, I'm going to get you guys back in this goddamn game, and now you need Joel, James, Tyrese. You go out there and finish it. Like that. That's meaningful. If you put PJ in a three-point shooting contest, <laughs> how, how many, many racks of balls does he get off before <laughs> the timer goes off? Yeah, It's a great question. I don't know. That's a, maybe we can ask PJ that at media day. Uh, um, might pass on that one. Might pass on that one. Yeah, look, I think in terms of a playoff performer – and look, George isn't like he's not built for the playoffs specifically either. And Alex in the comments says he was unplayable against the Celtics. And that's fair. There are a lot of games before they get to the second round. And there are guys, people say it pejoratively, right? 82 game versus 16 game player. You need 82 game players to actually get to those rounds of the playoffs. And also, it's not like Milton and McDaniels were playable either. Correct. Uh, in fact, they were both out of the rotation. Doc by didn't the even know half. who McDaniels <laughs> <laughs> Might be true. Uh, look, I think they're interesting because there's two different ways to sort of look at it. Like, Shake, will, he, will, he will win you like three or four random games over the course of a season Correct. when you have nobody left that can handle the ball. And this team still has, you know, they're one injury away from having nobody that can really handle the ball. And especially being down Harden already, yeah. they're down the biggest volume ball handler. So I think there's a case that in the regular season he might be as well. But because George can maintain in the rotation all year because he could play off of both Embiid and Harden and because he could actually, his shooting was valuable enough that you could at least look the other way at times in the playoffs defensively, he's probably the answer to this question. Yeah. Well, so I'll just, we'll make the case for Shake a little bit and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about McDaniels and I guess what they're losing there. I, to your point, I think Shake is a guy that you sort of know what kind of game he's going to have right away. Like it's easy to pull him out of the rotation on a, he was on the fringes for a lot of last season and doc would look at him. He comes in, takes some insane off balance shot and misses it. And then that's kind of it for him. But shake being able to be in that role. And then, Hey, James and Tyrese are out tonight and now you got to play 30 minutes and he goes out there and he might score 18 points and have six assists and get four or five rebounds. Like that's, that's really hard mm -hmm. to do for a, an NBA role player or for any player for that matter to go from basically being on mothballs to not only are you in the rotation, you're like a featured player yep. tonight. And I think that's the thing they will probably miss with shake the most. It's not that he was some, you know, insanely good role player. It's that he was able to stop or start from a complete standstill and no rhythm and say, that's all right. I'm just going to go out there and play my game. And, you know, that's a, a pretty uncommon skill to have as a guy who was kind of like a 10th man type. And then he would go all, like all of March where he's in the rotation playing 20 to 25 per night and you didn't even know he was there. Just a really strange play, especially for a guy who we all thought when he first came in the league would be better playing as an off-ball player in a catch-and-shoot yes. role and then attack a closeout role. He just didn't look like he had the speed to really create in half court. Next thing you know, that turns out to be his best skill. I, we need player. to do at some point an investigative series on what happened with his shooting mechanics were just went from like, oh, that's like his signature skill, right? He comes out of SMU, had four years of really good shooting numbers and good volume too. And then for whatever reason was toying with yep. what his shot looked like and 
So that was always strange to me, but maybe that's a conversation with him in the future. Like our, like our good buddy, former colleague over at Liberty Ballers and current co-host of the Right Circuit, Sanchez, Michael Levin, would say, looks like he's shooting a medicine ball. It just, <laughs> ball looked like a heavy for him. It's, it was weird. It was weird. Uh, so McDaniels is the other guy that, you know, we put this trio together, which one's the biggest loss. Obviously, he did not have the impact that we were thinking about or that they were hoping for in the last season. Well, he did get him under the luxury tax. <laughs> That's that a very that sore subject for the people that uh, are watching the show, listening to the show. But I, had, I, I wasn't expecting him to be you know, big-time impact guy. I was certainly expecting him to be kind of an every-night rotation player, yep. and he was not that. But losing him, even though those things are true, you are now down to basically Daniel House Jr. as the only real wing on this team. I think both PJ and Tobias are more quote-unquote forwards. I think DeAnthony is a guy who's a guard who can masquerade as a wing just because he's super long, but he's he's not able to chase around, you know, the Tatums and the Browns and the guys like that. And so even though McDaniel's underwhelmed and didn't shoot all that well, I just think not having, hate to use this word, the optionality to go to a guy like McDaniels, I think that to me is probably a bigger loss than has been discussed this summer. Even if you say, look, he's kind of just a guy, he wasn't all that special during his time here. I think not having the ability to throw someone like that out there and to essentially be at the point where how much time have we already spent saying Paul Reed might get minutes at the four? Like that's that shows you the combination of size, athleticism, and skill at the you know the three four type spots. I am pretty concerned about that right now. Oh yeah, yeah. They if McDaniel's working out would have been really good. They really needed his archetype. They really did. Um, and he actually like he shot forty percent here. During his time in Philly, now it was on. He made a, you know, one three every other game. Like the volume was never there. Yeah. And he was sort of like that player. Like you know, I wrote when they first got him. It was like, people are gonna react really quickly. Like, oh my God, look, he can dribble. But I think pretty soon you're gonna realize, oh, but we don't really actually want him dribbling. Like he's yeah. better than Matisse because that bar is so low. But he's not where he needs to be. And I think that pretty quickly became evident um he did make his shots but it was never on the volume that you need randy with a comment at least harris got to save some cash to buy the commanders i don't know if anyone saw the the video of josh harris handing a football to ron rivera for his hundredth win over the weekend but i'm gonna let you finish but at some point this year you're gonna be talking with your hands i'm gonna randomly try to shake it and people are gonna think it's like me being awkward (laughs) no 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 it's a very specific reference I think that video players. of Josh Harris sh- or handing the football to Ron Rivera went about as well as you would expect with Sixers Twitter. And it was so funny scrolling through. You see the Commanders fans who are like, Dan Snyder would never do this. And they're in the honeymoon. Like, we really love Josh Harris phase. Meanwhile, all the Sixers fans are like, get this guy the hell out of Philadelphia and all kinds of you know, things like yeah. that. So the the dichotomy between the two thing, two fan bases right now, very funny. I love seeing him try to be like a motivational like locker room person because oh, that's yeah. very much not in his wheelhouse. Not exactly Newt Rockney. And he seems like he is just so excited to own because, you know, and this is the way it was sort of like pitched to us when he was trying to buy the team. 
Yeah, he went to Penn, but he's from that area. And he's, he's from Maryland. He's he's been a, a a Commanders fan. Well, not command. But anyway, he's been a Washington football fan for a long time. So this does seem like he. I mean, he's acting it out like this is actually like a dream come true for him. And I don't really begrudge him for that. I know there's a lot of territorial stuff with Philly, um, but when he tries to be the motivational locker room guy, you know, I get a little chuckle. Sure. Well, so I will say, I don't blame Harris for buying a team that he loves, but. You're going to get what you get with yeah. the fan base. Like no. you're going to get the blowback and you understood that going in. And I think he probably knows that Yeah. No, he's not going to be very well liked. And again, when having conversations, I'm like, so like your justification for him buying a competitor or a, a Philly competitor is that he's from the air. Like that's just not going to go over well in this market. I understand it, but it's not going to go over well. And I think everybody for the most part, um, like as long as you're not going like, Howard Eskin levels of passive aggressive, not even passive aggressive aggressive. Uh, I think the uh, the team mostly understands that. Yeah, so you know that just adds to all the the anger that I know a lot of people are feeling, whether it's for just the team in general or at Joel and at James, and then you add on like, hey, the owner bought a direct rival of the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. It's just like, what are you guys doing? It really man? is. Though. Like I was told very early on in Harris's ownership that from someone in, we'll call it management, that really what he wants more than anything is to win a title and be looked at as the one who sort of like put the team on the path, gave them the resources, gave them the infrastructure. Now you, you hear that and you see what's going on with the Sixers and the way the, how much upheaval there has been. It's a little humorous, but if there's any situation to walk into and be seen as sort of like the hero that came in and steadied the ship, it's that org- it's like the, uh, again the bar for being a good owner is so low with that organization that he's got a chance to accomplish his goal yeah well and listen to if we're comparing harris as a sixers owner to you know ed snyder rest his soul all that at the end of his tenure owning the sixers mm-hmm. it, it's a difference between someone who was completely basically uninvolved uninterested yep. and at least somebody who's invested in changing the team like whatever you say about how the Sixers have been run and who they've chosen to run the team between the Colangelos and the the shadow front office and they Brett's doing this and what have you. They have gone and like they hired Daryl and they spent a lot of money on Doc and they built a practice facility. They did get a tax break on that, worth noting. But they have spent resources to try to make the franchise better. Now that the cynical thing is they've made the valuation much better, but it's definitely different than, hey, you just, we happen to own you as Comcast. Spectacor. I wonder what the and most recent valuation is. Is it like seven times what he bought it for? Like, oh, is it up? it's crazy. It's like owning a sports franchise is yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's all monopoly money. Um, no, when I get on Harris and the whole ownership group, it'll be for, you know, selling draft picks or ducking the tax or creating an environment where you have no idea who's in charge. Like it's that kind of stuff. I don't really, it's humorous when he buys the commanders and does stuff like this. I don't really care too much. There's enough people in Philly who care. I will sit that one out. And again, it comes back to, I know you and Rich talk some about everyone wants us to be madder about the coaches or the coach individually than we normally are. The organization has not been held back from getting out of the second round by Josh Harris or David Blitzer or the ownership group. It's been 
mostly the players. The players. Well, and the people picking the players. Well, sure, but all I'm saying is it's not Josh Harris trading Matisse Thybul. No, 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 absolutely. Daryl Morey trading Matisse Thybul for Jalen McDaniels and saving money under the luxury tax was not the difference between the Sixers winning the title last year or. The Sixers losing to Boston in Game 7. His decisions on the front office, you could argue, were a very big part of their inability to get out of the second round, but the trading Matisse Thibel, things of that sort, definitely not. Yes. I, th- I think uh, we had one other topic we were going to get to on we how wanna. we should view the season. I think we're, we're pretty much right at the end, so we will shelve that for another day. Thank you, Kyle, for jumping on, and I will talk to you at least until you run out of here and take two more days off. <laughs> and thank you to... I saw... Sam and Miles and Randy and Neil, a lot of people, active commenters throughout the stream. If I am not naming you, it's because I can't see your name right now. But, you know, we've obviously had a good reception so far. Happy to have you guys along for the ride and uh, many more to come. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.